Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. There's some cool 316 verses in the Bible, but we're located off of Highway 316, if you're familiar with the area. Speaking of that, if you are a local, uh, come visit us one Sunday morning. Our Sunday service is at 1030. You can learn more about the church by visiting our website, calvary316.com. Again, Calvary 316, very easy to remember, dot com. I do hope, regardless of where you're listening or how, whether you're listening via one of our radio partners or on our podcast, I hope you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perception that the world has of Christians by boldly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. So recently... I got a email from a dear friend of mine who I'm not going to mention by name, and this friend uh, is starting a church. Again, I'm not going to mention my friend's name, and I'm not going to get very specific uh, regarding where he's starting a church. But what was included in this email that had a very nice note um, about how much he appreciated our friendship and um, the how Calvary 316 has been a blessing to him and his family, he included also an attachment. Uh, This friend has made the decision to plant a new church. Um, I want to just kind of go over here the business proposal that he included in this email uh, because it's really interesting and it's going to set the stage for what I want to talk about in today's episode. So to begin with, let, let, let me go through here this particular business proposal Uh, that I was sent. Um, First, my name is, I served as an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel. Again, I'll leave that out. For two years before planning a Calvary Chapel, and again, I'm not going to mention specifically where, uh, he continues to tell how uh, he spent 18 years growing this church uh, from four to 1,400. Now, he's no longer the pastor there. Uh, He's moved on. He talks about how God led him Um, to California in 2015, uh, explains why he's no longer at the church he originally planted, um, and talks about, within the call, uh, a heart for Los Angeles and how the Lord's been stirring this uh, for the last few years. Right off the bat, this line, um, the church I led for 18 years, growing it from four to 1,400, blew my mind. As if you grew the church. Again, the Bible's very clear <laughs> that it's the Lord who adds to the church. It's, it's God's church. Jesus is the pastor. We're just instruments. Um, there's kind of a, a height of arrogance to think that you grew something. And if you did, then it's your work, not God's. And who wants to have any part of that? That you grew the church. You can grow a business. But don't you want to be part of something that God grows, something that God works in, something that God supernaturally manifests? So right from the bat, I I was really turned off. I love this brother with all my heart, but was really turned off when when he boasts that he uh, grew this church over 18 years from four people to 1,400 people. Uh, I don't want to have anything to do with such a place uh, if it is a man, a flawed man, uh, growing something. I want to be part of a work of God. Um, I tell the people at Calvary 316 all the time, uh, if if at any point you feel as though it's Zach, the Zach show, that Zach is growing this thing, then, then you should bail because it's destined for <laughs> for a reckoning. I want to be part of a work of God, a work, a moving of the Holy Spirit. So right off the bat, I got a little soiled, soured. Who grew the church that you originally planted? Because uh, that says a lot about uh, your mindset about the next church that you're going to start planting. Uh, he, he continues, he says, since moving back to California, we've made uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa our church home. Uh, Brian Broderson is our friend and pastor. I only mention those names because it's a large church, and, um, and it, I think actually kind of plays into the mindset. Um, I disagree with some things that are happening there, but that's a, a, a different topic for a different day. Uh, he, he says, we've had his blessing. Uh, he's been a big part of this process. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, Calvary Chapel, um, and again, I'm going to leave the name of, of this church in Connecticut out, uh, participated financially. Other churches, both inside and outside the Calvary Chapel movement, um, have expressed interest in being part of our team. I'm curious if this is part of the, the Calvary Chapel movement 
uh, that's known as the Calvary Chapel Association, um, governed by the association, or if it's the Calvary Chapel movement governed by Brian Broderson, uh, the Calvary Global Network. He says, we're also working with ARC, which is the Association of Related Churches. I'm not familiar much. I assume that that's a church planting uh, organization. Continuing, uh, kind of listing out what the opportunity here is, is uh, 93,000 people live in this area. Uh, Los Angeles, as you might not know, uh, there's like 4 million people that live in the, in the greater Los Angeles area. Uh, this particular nook of Los Angeles includes many creatives. He says, like us, speaking of him and his wife, entrepreneurs, young professionals, a home to over 500 startup tech companies, as well as startup incubators and accelerators. Uh, that's cool. Uh, this is an amazing opportunity to influence emerging influencers who will in turn influence the world. Um, I, can, I can roll with that. The problem. So here's the problem, necessitating a solution. The problem, and again, I'm reading uh, the business proposal I was sent for this church plant uh, that my friend is spearheading. He says, uh, the problem is that in the midst of all of this creativity, there is a lot of despair. Midst of success, there's despair. Homelessness, which if you watch the news, you're very much aware that within California, largely, uh, there's a homeless epidemic. But within Los Angeles County, there's 12% homelessness, up 12%. Cost of housing in this particular area is three to four times uh, the national average. Again, shocker. It's very expensive to live uh, in California. Uh, tragically, and my heart breaks for this, the suicide rate in this area is two to three times that of the Los Angeles area, which is already higher than the national average. So, and all of this success, uh, no doubt, there is a need uh, for Jesus to do a work in this particular area. Uh, undoubtedly, he says only uh, eight to three percent attend an evangelical Protestant church uh, in this particular uh, area. Bottom line, over 85,000 people are not attending an evangelical life giving church. Uh, they need the opportunity to hear the message and experience the peace hope and love of Jesus. Uh, I, I, would, I would like to know uh, the definition of evangelical, uh, life-giving church. That's kind of broad. The solution. So there's clearly a problem. This is an area, like so many others, that need, uh, need a moving of Jesus. Uh, this church that they're going to plant will reach people and beyond, people in that community and beyond, with the transforming message and way of Jesus by creating dynamic environments where people encounter God through inspiring weekend worship services, meaningful midweek small group gatherings, and opportunities to work together and with other churches to impact the community. Couple that with a culture of grace where everyone is welcome and given space to learn and grow, where people who might feel like outsiders, including returners, will feel like insiders, space where everyone belongs, hope-filled space. That's uh, what they're wanting uh, to create. Again, uh, this is the solution to the, the, the problem. Okay. Um, <laughs> transforming message the way of Jesus. So that's the goal. That, that's the solution is that the area needs the transforming message in the way of Jesus articulated. The, the way that they're going to accomplish that, which I don't agree with, I don't disagree with the solution. Yeah, the world needs more of Jesus. A lot less of us, way more of Jesus. But to accomplish that, the solution is to create dynamic environments where people can encounter God through inspiring weekend worship services, uh, meaningful midweek small group gatherings, opportunities to work together with other churches. To What about like starting a church? <laughs> All that's mentioned here is to create weekend worship experiences meaningful midweek small group gatherings. What about like a, a church? <laughs> Again, I, I think that, that might just be semantic, but it's, it's missing. Uh, you know what's also missing? Um, you know, if you're wanting to, uh, if the solution is the transforming message and way of Jesus, then you would think uh, the next line would be teaching God's word, which is the transforming message. And yet there's no mention here of teaching the Bible, uh, it's the word of God that's living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword that, that changes lives. It's the Holy Spirit. No mention of the Holy Spirit uh, within this solution either. Just inspiring worship experiences. What the heck is that? Or meaningful uh, small group gatherings. 
you could do that to watch football. Like, like again, I, I, I'm missing how that's the solution or even the remedy or the way of articulating things about Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm game about a culture of grace. It's welcoming space where people can learn and grow. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. But you're not, you're not mentioning the Bible, teaching the Bible. Like you have the remedy. You have the one thing distinct and different from the entire world. The bread of life, water to quench a thirsty soul. It's God's word that transforms lives, that reveals Jesus. He, is, he even defines himself in Revelation as the word of God. Jesus giving himself the name, the word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus reveals himself, ministers to the human soul through the teaching, the expositing, the articulating of God's word. God's word changes, transforms, influences, moves. There hasn't been one spiritual revival or awakening in human history not connected to a return to the teaching of God's word. It's a fact of, of, of church history. And yet the solution to a very real problem in this area doesn't include Bible teaching. It doesn't include articulating God's word. It's just creating dynamic environments where people can encounter God through uh, weekend worship experiences. It's heartbreaking. What is that? It's, it's Christianity blended with new ageism. It's what it sounds like. How about this? There's a, there's a real problem in this area. There's homelessness. There's despair. There's increased suicide rates. There's a huge unchurched population. I wonder why. You, you know what? They need the opportunity to hear the message and experience the peace, hope, and love of Jesus. But that opportunity only manifests when you're communicating God's word. The solution is a moving of the Holy Spirit. The solution is revival. The solution is... Is people not just encountering Jesus, but being transformed by Jesus. The, the, the proposal here, after you know the opportunity, the problem here, the solution, uh, we get into the launch. My friend says, you know, we're we're relocating this spring to this area. Uh, in March, we'll begin having bi-monthly interest meetings to build a launch team of at least 45 people. In July, we'll begin having launch team meetings on August 30th and September 6th. Very particular timeline. Uh, we'll have closed practice services. So they're going to they're going to rehearse church as opposed to just like, you know, having church as uh, again. <laughs> and then on September 13th, we're going to launch. Now, I'm talking about something that that I know not everyone's going to agree with my uh, position and, and again, in fairness to my friend, uh, man, this is just this is how churches are planted today, which again is going to kind of set the stage for what I'm going to talk about throughout the episode. I'm going to get back to the business proposal, but I, but I just want to say if you're listening and you're not able to stay with me through the entirety of the episode, that's okay. Uh, every episode of the Outlaw Radio Show uh, is podcasted. Uh, now, the easiest way to access our podcast is just to go to outlawradio.org, and in the right hand corner, you're going to find quick links. Uh, iTunes has kind of rebranded its Apple Podcasting, and we're we're on that platform. Additionally, you can find us Google Play. You can listen to this episode in its entirety. You can listen to all previous episodes. So if you can't stay with us, no big deal. Go check out the podcast. Subscribe. Listen in. Again, our website, outlawradio.org. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the most important visions of the Outlaw Radio Show is our desire to challenge you to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on your own. The sad reality is many Christians fail to reflect Christ because they don't know what they believe or why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to the Outlaw Radio Show tackling tough topics you might not hear at church, it is our desire to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this important process, we want you to check out blueletterbible.org. It would be an understatement to say that this website will transform the way you study the Bible. In fact, it will revolutionize it. 
Aside from their treasure trove of free online commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it super simple to dive into the original language behind a text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture and in the process, learn and grow, we encourage you to check out blueletterbible.org today. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm, t- I'm talking about church planning, <laughs> at least I'm going to talk about church planning, but I-, I, want- I started off with really kind of what got this going in my own-, my own mind, and that was an email I received from a very dear friend who is going to plant a church in a, in a part of Los Angeles. Attached, after a very kind uh, email, uh, was his business proposal. And, uh, and so in the first block, we went through uh, a good portion of the business proposal, uh, myself pointing out things that, that I find to be terribly wrong with it. Again, not trying to rip on my friend. This is uh, emblematic of a much larger problem because this business proposal framework is how the majority of churches are, are being planted today in the United States of America. Uh, let me get to the strategy here. Uh, within this business proposal, my friend continues, says, as a church starting from scratch, we're going to certainly need the prayers of our friends and family. No doubt you will. Uh, but we'll also need significant financial resources. We have developed a launch budget and a three-year budgetary projection by which we will become self-sufficient at the end of two years, which again, I have no idea how in the world uh, he can uh, he can extrapolate that, that, that he can... I know my friend, he's a good pastor, but he's not a prophet. Uh, here's, the, here's the launch budget, just out of curiosity. The launch budget, advertising and outreach, $50,000. This is just for the launch. The money they need to start having church. Uh, again, no mention of Jesus, uh, his leading, uh, guidance. Uh, basically, the strategy is pray for us and we need your money. Uh, the launch budget, advertising and outreach, $50,000. The environment, because again, uh, that's the big solution to the problem, an, an environment, uh, $25K. Uh, kids ministry, $25K. Uh, miscellaneous, $15,000 for miscellaneous. That's, that's a lot of money for a very broad category. Staff salaries, $60K. Systems and software, $25,000. This is to launch. This is before you even start. Worship and creative arts, $100,000. The total budget for launch is $300K. At year one, that's the same budget. Uh, by that point, they're hoping that 50% of the income comes outside from outside support, but 50 from internal. Um, the, year two, the budget increases $50,000 uh, to $35K. At that point, they're hoping that 25% of the income is coming from outside support, now 75% uh, from the church itself. And then by year three, the budget increases to $400K, uh, 0% coming from outside support, 100% of the income coming from church giving, $400K in three years. Now, I get it. Th- this area uh, is very expensive to live in, very expensive probably to plant a church in $300,000 for a launch 300k my budget for last year as a as a small but self-sufficient church was like $140,000 it was half of that as an established church advertise 50,000 now uh, at the end of this proposal, he, he gives some launch budget examples. Let me just kind of read these to you. Well, advertising and outreach, like that $50,000 will go to mailers, TV and radio ads, web and social ads, print ads, interest meetings, launch meetings, merch, etc. As far as the environment, the 25K, uh, the guest experience, signage, tables, TVs, pipe and drapes, coffee and pastries for guests, parking cones, vests, rain gear, tablets, security, etc. The 25K for children's ministry will go to training and resources, background checks, audio, video, and lighting, toys and games, cribs, changing tables, rocking chairs, security check-in systems, etc. Um, the m- miscellaneous category, that's 15K, not, not any type of examples of what that goes to. Same with salaries, which is 60K. I guess that's self-explanatory. The $25,000 that will go to a system and software, 
this will be church management software, creative software, so I'm assuming that's Adobe, uh, operations software, online giving, uh, and financial operations, attorney fees, CPA firm, etc. Again, that, that number just blows my mind. And then 100 k for worship and creative arts will go to audio, video, and lighting, musical instruments, staging, storage, trailers, possibly including a vehicle to pull a trailer, etc. cetera. Uh, my guess is that we'll also go to be paying musicians, uh, which has kind of become the norm. Uh, you, if you're curious how you can participate, uh, he says, we can't make this God-given dream a reality without your help. Our prayer is that three years from now, we'll look back and see how at this defining moment, a large group of big-hearted, open-handed people went all in and saw God make the impossible possible. I hope God makes the impossible possible. I would like to look back and say, wow, God did something in spite of us, not because of us, but maybe I'm old school. Here are the four ways you can participate. One, pray. Totally agree with that. Two, give. Okay. I mean, they do need $300,000 to just start. Um, Okay. Uh, three network, which is if you know someone that lives in the area interested in, in being part of a church plant, let them know. I, I, I'm totally in agreement with that. And then and then book us. Consider booking us at your church so we can give the opportunity to share our vision for this church plant. Uh, thanks in advance for your prayerful consideration and support. That that's crazy. Like when I when I read through this business proposal, my jaw hit the ground. Astonishing. Now, now, I want to backtrack because, again, I want to talk about church planting. So what, what does the Bible have to say about church planting? The truth is that the Bible has virtually nothing to specifically say about how to plant a church. But what the Bible does provide us, specifically in the book of Acts, is a lot of examples, examples for this. The church there in Jerusalem, started by Jesus, was launched by a moving of the Holy Spirit, filling the hearts of 120 people that had gathered. We see the the immediate development of that particular church. You had the apostles. The needs started growing, so they appoint deacons. Everyone starts pulling their resources so that the, the, the apostles, or what would become the elders, uh, and later manifestations of this, could, could give their time solely to prayer and the, and the study, the teaching, the articulating of God's word. Church probably gathered, you know, co- contrary to the, the conventional perspective that the first church simply met in homes. No doubt they did. But they also gathered together corporately. We find many examples of this in the book of Acts, not just their initial gathering of 120, 150, whatever it was, but then Peter preaches and they numbered the people to 3,000 and then they had gathered again and he preaches again. Like there was gatherings uh, probably within Solomon's portico, this area of the Temple Mount. Temple was a large gathering. The outer courts had large places that they could gather. The church experiencing persecution, we read how Philip went to Samaria and planted a church. He came and he started teaching God's word and people started getting saved. And, and there was this, this church that was formed. The Apostle Paul ends up being sent out from an existing church, that being Antioch. And as he makes his way through the Roman Empire, he would go to a town, he would preach the gospel, a group of people would get saved, and that would be the church. And then as soon as that church had uh, leaders, Paul would move on and plant another church. Sometimes Paul would stay there for up to two years. We see that in Ephesus. Sometimes, like in Iconium, he gets run out. He's only there for a few weeks, and yet the church survives. He gets to Philippi. And there's not a synagogue that he could start in, so he goes down by the river, and he meets a group of women. Lydia, a church is born. They get saved. It meets in Lydia's house. Aquila and Priscilla come out of there. Cool stuff. Within, within the Bible, we don't have a particular chapter, how to start a church, but we find the, the examples of churches being planted all over the Roman world. And in some instances, we find the Apostle Paul going into a town uh, and, and working a job. He was a tent maker. So he would 
make tents, pay his expenses, preach the gospel. Uh, in, in other instances, the church that he planted would quickly start supporting him so he didn't have to plant uh, have to have to work another job so he could focus purely on the gospel. Like in Philippi, not only did the Philippian church support the apostle Paul while he was in Philippi, again this being a very wealthy area, but they continued to support Paul throughout his ministry so that in certain areas, certain contexts, he didn't have to work. He was being given support from the Philippian church. Antioch is the church where the elders gathered and prayed over Paul and Barnabas and sent them out initially. They were a church-planting organization, but we have no mention of them financially supporting the Apostle Paul. The idea, and again, unique, but Paul would feel called to an area. He would go there. He would preach the gospel. He would begin to, to mentor and, 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 and teach. They would gather on Sundays. This church would grow, and as soon as it was solid, he would move on and do the same thing and replicate it. Paul definitely having this church-planting perspective. Uh, though Paul never... Uh, planted the church in Rome, a church grew there. We don't know how. So, so not just Paul, but other people, Peter. Some of the other apostles would go to the areas, get a job, teach the Bible, evangelize, hold gatherings, and God would grow the church one step at a time, incrementally. So while the Bible doesn't provide us, let's say, a chapter on church planting or very specific uh, mandates, instructions on how to do this, broadly speaking, it does kind of lay this framework that the Lord establishes his church, the Lord grows his church, the Lord uses men in towns, and that there's this an organic development to things. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to explain how church planning originated in America and some of the challenges that we presently face. I do want to say here before we leave, um, if you hear something on the show, you want to challenge, you want to provide an opinion, man, contact us. Our contact information, very simple. Info at outlawradio.org is our email. Facebook.com slash the radio outlaw or Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. Again, my name is Zach Adams. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the first half of today's episode. Zach will be back in just a few minutes to share with you part two, where he's talking about church planting. Coming up in the second half of the show, Zach will talk specifically about the history of how churches were planted in the United States. Don't go anywhere. The second half of the Outlaw Radio Show is coming right up. How were churches planted here in the United States? Zach tackles this question on the second half of the Outlaw Radio Show. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about church planting. The Bible doesn't really give us a very specific set of instructions or a detailed business plan for how to start a church, but it does give us example after example after example of churches being started. The entire missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul were, were singularly focused on starting churches. And as soon as the church was, was started and, and healthy, Paul would move on. Sometimes he had to move on before that, not even sure what happened behind him. And yet God was working and the Spirit was moving. In America, we, we find just kind of an interesting history of church planting. Again, America was colonized by Christians, the pilgrims, individuals that were fleeing religious persecution, not just in England, but in other parts of the continent of Europe, looking for uh, just a place where they could, they could worship God uh, free of persecution, free of the influence of the state, the Mayflower, the New World, colonized by Christians. And subsequently, as more and more people migrated to the New World, the colonies developing and growing, revolution, America expanding, a, a, a particular problem emerged, a challenge faced the church. By and large, you had 
a lot of people that considered themselves to be Christians, and a lot of these towns, rural, spread out, uh, building local places of worship. We called them a church where they would gather on Sunday. The challenge in a growing America, especially as it began moving west, was that there were simply more churches than there were pastors. Uh, Case in point, a lot of ministers preached via a circuit. So what would happen is the the pastor would, would get on his horse and he would make his way from local town to town to town to town with each stop going to the church, preaching, staying the night before moving to the next. And, and, and so you might have one individual pastoring churches in several different count, uh, towns within a county or within a region or within a state, a territory. It's during this time period that these these churches, the local gathering area, because of the dynamic at play, they would have connected to the church uh, parsonages, uh, the houses where that pastor and his family would be able to stay, accommodations for them as they move from place to place to place. Now, during all of this, we're in a purely denominational time frame of American history. Uh, there was no such thing as non-denominations. Uh, there were purely denominational uh, movements within America, from, from Baptists to the Anabaptists to the Methodists to the Presbyterians to the Lutherans, etc., So you had these various denominations within particular towns. And as the towns grew, you you would go from one church kind of pigeoned into one denomination, the First Baptist Church of Snellville, to now the First United Methodist Church of Snellville. And and as a result, you would have various ministers moving in and out of towns. And and because there was a lack of pastors, we also find the emerging of of seminaries. Most of the, uh, the original Uh, institutions of higher learning within America, like Harvard and Yale, began as seminaries uh, because you had a lot of churches, not a lot of pastors. And so they were starting these denominational movements, starting to to churn out pastors to meet the needs, the growing needs of their denominations, their churches within a vibrant America. Again, a need, denominations meeting that need through seminaries. More churches than pastors, but over time, Uh, supply and demand, they were able to meet the growing demand with a more uh, supply of of, of young ministers. Even today, uh, denominations are are still wise. They still have a, a really good blueprint for planting churches as well as continuing to facilitate the churches that they have. Uh, you still have seminaries connected directly to denominations that are producing each and every year more and more pastors, uh, either to take the place of the pastors that are retiring in existing churches or to plant new churches and new areas as America continues to grow uh, and develop. And so uh, denominations have a particular structure of maintaining church planting, replacing churches, uh, pastors as they retire, etc. It's a factory. Now, more recently, let's say within the last 40 years, a predicament has, has entered uh, the Church of America that presents a unique need. And, and the, the dynamic is the rise of non-denominational churches presented a predicament where you would have individuals that left the denominational structure, started Bible studies. Those Bible studies organically grew into churches that grew into megachurches that began sending out individuals uh, to plant more megachurches. Like the the non-denominational created a a unique and interesting challenge when it came to church planning because it didn't have the denominational structure, nor did it have the seminary dynamic whereby just organically it would be able to develop. Non-denominations, non-denominational churches tend to start in really one of three ways. Uh, First, it's just the pure get a job, one guy having a vision kind of blueprint. Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, had been in the four square denomination, had rejected denominationalism, had gotten soured on denominationalism, had kind of quit the ministry, and then was invited by a small group of people to come and teach a Bible study at Calvary Chapel. And this non-denominational church grew exponentially. We have non-denominations across America. 
And those non-denominations end up over time being challenged to remain completely autonomous or become within themselves uh, a denomination. But a lot of times, at least uh, in the first generation or what I would call the first wave of non-denominationalism, these were guys that just planted churches without support, without help, without a mandate. They just started Bible studies. My father, particularly, grew up a Southern Baptist and reached a point that he was just so tired of the same old, same old traditionalism, legalism, the lack of exposition concerning God's word that he decided, well, he was just going to start a church. And at the time, he's listening to Pastor Chuck on the radio and decided he'd start a Calvary Chapel. He had no support, wasn't sent. He was sent by God started a Bible study in my grandparents' living room. That moved to an upper room there in downtown Stone Mountain because, well, they couldn't fit in my parents' duplex at the time. And, 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 and then once it got bigger, they, were, they had enough funds pulled together that they got this dump, this little building that they built kind of into a church. And they just, they just did it. And then they bought the property that they're at now just organically. No money, no funding, no support, just kind of on an island doing it yourself. And most of the first generation, the first wave non-denominational guys, it was, it was that way. When you wanted to start a Calvary Chapel, and again, I'm, I'm referring to Calvary Chapel particularly because th- that's the movement that I, that I come from. The first generation of Calvary guys, uh, if you went to Pastor Chuck and you're like, hey, I want to start a Calvary Chapel, he said, man, that's awesome. Go. <laughs> you have our blessing. There was no money, there was no support, there was no organization. Uh, You were sent, and you went to the town that you felt called, and you got a job, and you started a Bible study, and and if if the blessing of the Lord was behind it, it worked. If the blessing of God wasn't, it failed, and you moved on. So the first generation of Calvary Chapel guys, or even just generally speaking, non-denominational guys, it was all about just this, this blind faith of just going and doing something. Radical. You also have examples within the first wave of non-denominationalism of the sister church concept. And this would also carry into, I would say, the second wave that we've seen of non-denominationalism. And that's the idea that that you, you felt a call. So let's say you were working at a church. You were the youth pastor and assistant pastor, and there was a community that, that, that maybe had called, and they're like, we're, we're wanting a church in this area, we're, we're, we're gathering, we're looking for a pastor, and the Lord starts stirring your heart, but you're like, man, um, I, I could really use uh, some support. And so the church there, we're like, you know, let's plant a church in that area, we're going to use you as the spearhead, and we're going we're gonna to provide you a salary for a year, we're going to give you some startup money, uh, this is going to be our sister church, we're going to plant this church church in this area. We recognize the call of God on your life, and we want to come behind you and be a part of it. Very similar to how Philippi operated, very similar biblically to Antioch. Sending churches, sister churches. Now, here's the problem with this. The problem is that the sister church concept, which I think is very biblical, has died. And and the reason that it's died largely within non-denominationalism is because, well, video campuses have emerged. So instead of, of sending a guy to a community to start a church, the, the, the new model is, well, let's just go into that community and start another campus of the mothership. Uh, we'll send all the people necessary. We'll send the video screen and we'll just incorporate this. And so the multi-campus model has kind of added a new wrinkle that challenges the spread of non-denominational churches and how they plant. I'm running against a break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to conclude these thoughts here with the Outlaw Radio Show. Did you know beyond the unique content of the Outlaw Radio Show, Pastor Zach Adams also has an extensive teaching archive available online for free? If you love to study the Bible, we encourage you to check out c316.tv. Currently, Pastor Zach is teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but C316.tv also has video, audio, and sermon notes for the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Acts, Ephesians, Genesis, Philemon, Jonah, Philippians, as well as an in-depth study on the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' seven letters to the churches recorded in Revelation 3 and 4. 
with over 17,000 minutes of expositional Bible teaching and more than 2,775 pages of written sermon transcripts, C316.tv is a must-visit for any serious student of the Bible. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about church planting. As America grew, denominations existed to facilitate the need of, of churches. At one point, there were more churches than there were pastors. So seminaries emerged, supply and demand. The denominational structure regarding replacing uh, existing pastors, filling vacant pastorships, or planting new churches, denominations uh, had a structure in place through the seminaries uh, to make this easy. Um, case in point, my, my uncle was a big part of my dad planting Calvary Chapel. But he saw firsthand how difficult it was for his big brother to start a non-denominational church, how planting a church without denominational structure, how difficult that was. So he went to a Southern Baptist seminary, got his degree, and then they helped him plant a church. And he had all the structure, the salary, the influence, uh, the money. Money. Denominations provide money. With the spread of non-denominations, most of the time it was a go-it-alone proposition. You didn't have support. You kind of rejected non-denominations. You rejected denominations. You were starting a church that wasn't a denomination, so it didn't have the affiliation. So guys went to towns, got jobs, started Bible studies, and God blessed and grew these churches. From that dynamic... And the second wave of non-denominationalism within America, you still had guys doing that. I, have, I know a bunch of guys that, that felt called to an area, went, were janitors at the local school, started a Bible study, and the church has grown. And now they, they can support them, the church can support them, and they don't have to be a janitor anymore. It's, it's cool, it's inspiring. Aside from that, there are other churches uh, within the second movement of denomination, non-denominationalism, the, the sister church model where there was, hey, we want to see a church in this community, so let's send out one of our guys, let's support him, but it's going to be its own church. We're connected, we share the same DNA, but we recognize God's call on this young man, and we're going to send him to this area to start a church. Now, the problem is is that's fallen out of style, as mentioned, because of video campuses. Instead of planting churches, uh, we're multiplying a church, not raising up pastors, facilitating it purely through video screens, it, it, I think it, it, it's a problem. It's a problem. Because instead of planting churches, we're just replicating one church model into various communities. Which, as a result, if you're wanting today to start a church, like my friend in California, how do you do it? Well, you might get some support from churches that see your vision and, and, and come alongside the call and and want to help support and facilitate that. But, but a lot of people say, well, just go get a job. Now, the problem with that for second-generation non-denomination, like the most qualified guys to go start churches are the guys that are already pastors, right? Assistant pastors, youth pastors, etc. But the problem is, is that they, because they've been working for the church for years, they have no marketable skills. Like, for example, in my own dynamic, the challenge for me going and planting Calvary 316 by going and getting a job is, I, I, what am I going to do? Like, I don't think I could get a job to support my family. I, I couldn't get a job as a janitor to support my family of three kids. I could, it wouldn't be enough income. Uh, and not only that, but I, I couldn't just sell pizzas or drive an Uber to make the kind of money I would need to live in the area that I live in. Like, I don't have marketable skills because... I graduated high school, went to Bible college, got a job at a church, and was a youth pastor for 10 years. So the go get a job model just doesn't work. I, I'm so thankful that Calvary 316 ended up being a church plant from Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. But for guys that don't have that, how do you do it? Well, enter Church Planting Inc. Organizations, parachurch organizations like Acts 29 that evaluate applicants, pick and choose which ones they want to get behind, and then there's this entire structure where they're going to help you plant the church, and in turn, 
you owe them a percentage of the tithes and offerings so that they can reinvest that into planting more and more churches. Not a bad model, and I'm not knocking it. I just don't know how biblical a model it is. It, it, it seeks to accomplish the same thing that denominations tended to do within the non-denominational structure. Now, with the few minutes that have, I have left, I, I want to get into how this should be. Because again, going back to the Bible, the Bible doesn't have a chapter where it lists out in very particular order um, a framework by which you start a church. No, there was example after example. But it's those examples that really establish for us um, something that should be central to a church plant and the DNA of that plant. By the way, it's my biggest criticism for my buddy's proposal. You see, the Bible is clear that there is an organic way in which you plant a church, but we today see a manufactured way. The easiest way to tell whether something is organic, and let me define that. An organic church plant is something where God leads an individual to a place, God adds to the church, God grows it, God works, God moves, the Spirit does something where no one can look back and say, oh, it was that guy that, that planted and grew it. No, this was a work of God. We just happened to all be a part of it. We, we were just there to watch God do something radical, right? Organic, Holy Spirit-driven, you know, you, you can see a business model. You know, if it's a business model, if it's a proposal, hey, I'm going and I feel like God's leading me to this area and, and this is, here's the problem and the solution is Jesus and, and, and we need a revival, a moving of God's spirit and, and God's leading me here and I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I don't know what God's gonna do or how he's gonna do I just, but I could use your prayer. Man, if you'd like to support me, that'd be awesome. But man, I'm on this Holy Spirit ride. God's moving. I wanna be in the midst of it and that, that, man, that's kingdom-minded. That's organic. The Lord adding to the church. Not, we'll, we're going to launch this church because you gave us $300,000 to do so. See, there is an organic way to plant a church. And that can include raising money. I'm not knocking that. But it's Holy Spirit-driven. But there is a manufactured way. And the easiest way to tell when a work is not necessarily a work of God, but, but is, is a work of man, hoping that it would become a work of God, is when the focus is on the business plan. That it's the business model. This is how we're going to do it. Well, wait a second. What if God wants to do it differently? <laughs> Again, within, within this proposal, we have various, on, on August 30th and September 6th, we're going to have closed practice services, and then on September 13th, we're going to launch. Well, what if God's wanting to do something right now, bro? Right now in that area? Because there's a lot of people killing themselves in despair based upon your own data. Why don't you go there now? What if God wants, wants you to stand there and start preaching and, and do something that blows your mind? You're not even giving room for that. It's so structured. It's so organized. It's so focused on this and that that you're choking out the fact that God could do something that blows your wildest imaginations. Again, I'm not knocking having a plan, having a budget, figuring out the nuts and bolts, but when it's all said and done, do you want to be a part of a work of God or a work of man? Something that happens organically or something that you make happen that's manufactured? The easiest way is just to see how focused they are on the dependence of the Holy Spirit as opposed to their business plan. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to do a few things. First, man, contact your local Christian radio station. Tell them you're thankful they exist. Man, these guys don't make a lot of money, if, if any money at all. It really is a seed-sowing ministry. They're doing this because God led them and guided them and is providing for them. Say thanks. Also, if you wouldn't mind, thank them for carrying the Outlaw Radio Show in your community. Secondly, go visit our website outlawradio.org. From the site, you can easily access our podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasting as well as Google Play. You can listen to this episode in its entirety or all previous episodes. Also from the website, you can, you can find our, our information. We want to connect with you. Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. Info at outlawradio.org or facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. All this at outlawradio.org. Again, my name is Zach Adams. I hope you join me this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show.
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.